Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are watching Off the Track, and it is time to drop the hammer. Well, it feels great to be back in the studio. Welcome back to episode number 17 of Off the Track, our dirt track racing podcast where we talk about our experiences in the sport. I'm your host, Tanner Holmes, 17-year-old sprint car driver from Southern Oregon. And to my left, I have my best friend and co-host, Bennett Gooch. Bennett, what's been good lately? Uh, we've just been hanging out, getting ready to put on a PRCA rodeo that my family helps out at the Reading Rodeo. Uh, I bought a new car. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And uh, we also just interviewed an awesome guest, if you want to let them know who it was. Yes, today we interview uh, Dason Persley from Keith Coons Motorsports. We are able to bring him in over a video chat, so you guys will be able to see him during the interview. But uh, in a couple of our recent episodes, we talked about, you know, micros a little bit. Yeah. And I was thinking about it, and I was like, man, we should try to get someone that has came up through the micro ranks and right. been successful in the sport of dirt track racing for the viewers. Because if you guys watch the YouTube channel or you watch, you know, the first 16 episodes yeah. of the podcast, you hear us talk about outlaw carts. We're cart kids. Bennett and I are cart kids. Uh, we race up and down the West Coast, you know, from Northern Oregon to Central California at many different racetracks and try to travel and hit all the big shows. So that's where we kind of grew up racing. Another funny, like just a quick mention. I don't know if this is true or not. This is kind of the way I see it. it is when you grow up, you're either an outlaw car kid or a micro kid. There's really not an in-between. Those are the two main ways of right. getting started. I don't started. really see someone running both uh, that often yeah, until like maybe open division when you're, you know, in the 500cc, a yeah. little bit older, but I don't really see too a much A couple mixing. kids cross over, but for the most part, you know, some, if they're trying to grow, go up through the ranks, you know, you run carts into sprint yeah. cars or you run micros into sprint cars. And it really just depends, yeah. you know, what area of the United States you're from. But we were kind of bouncing around, you know, who should we get on? And I thought, you know what? Dason Persley, he would Perfect. be a great example. You know, he got into micros around the age of uh, 10 years old and then ran it right into, you know, um, becoming a driver for Keith Coons Motorsports yeah. and now in the Toyota pipeline, you know, on his way to making a career out of racing. So we interview him today for about 30 minutes. You are going to hear about all of that. Let's roll into the interview. So joining us here today on episode number 17 of Off the Track, I think besides my younger sister, he's our uh, youngest guest yep. on the show. He came up through the micro ranks. That was his pathway in dirt track racing. And one of the main reasons we wanted to have him on, and now he drives for Keith Coons Motorsports in the 71. Dason Persley, thank you for joining us here today. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I always enjoy doing these podcasts. Absolutely. So to start off, uh, you guys have already ran a bunch of races. I mentioned running for Keith Coons Motorsports. In uh, one of those first events, you ran the Tulsa Shootout and then right into the Chili Bowl. And that was actually your uh, rookie year at the event. Can you just talk about how that experience was? Yeah. So I've always, you know, been to the Chili Bowl since I live in Oklahoma and, and close to that building and, and whatnot. So, um, you know, going there and, and seeing the building was nothing new to me. So I guess you could say it was, you know, not my rookie, like, going there at least and then um you know racing actually being in, in getting in a driver's suit it was it was my rookie year so um of course this year with with COVID and everything it was you know a little bit different but it was still cram packed and probably still the biggest crowd I've ever raced in front of and and you know going down the ramp and you know making that right right turn onto the track is pretty special and, and to finally able to do that is is pretty cool and to do it with a team like Keithings Motorsports is, is something I'll cherish forever, and, and I'm sure extremely thankful for. Do you remember uh, your first thoughts going down, like when you're actually firing off for the first time on the track? What were your first thoughts uh, behind the wheel? 
Yeah, so the first, like, we get hot laps on Monday, so, you know, there's still people there, but then there's not as much people as, you know, later in the week or on your prelim night. So that was my first time firing off, and, you know, like I said, I've been there, so I don't think I really took it all in yet. And then when I fired off for hot laps on Tuesday night on my prelim night, that's when I feel like it all, you know, really sink in, and, and the nerves started coming to me, and, and it, like, you know, you kind of finally realized that, you know, you were at the Chili Bowl and, and you were in, racing in front of all these people. One of the things you uh, really touched on was, you know, having that prior experience, not only behind the wheel because you ran the Tulsa shootout and also just sitting in the grandstands watching. How beneficial was that for you to, you know, I've been there before, but also, you know, it wasn't like uh, some of these kids, you know, when they make their first Chili Bowl start, they maybe just go out there and run their first ever laps in a midget. But you had already ran some uh, pr- prior races with KKM. How much did that help you into, you know, uh, eventually winning the rookie of the, the race, you know, this, pre- this, this season? Yeah, it, I feel like, you know, of course it helps a ton. Um, seat time never hurts in, in any car. So, um, you know, to be that young and, and then still have, I think, two years in a midget before I even stepped in that building is really cool. And like I said, I'm extremely thankful for, you know, that Keith let me do it at a young age and, you know, all the people and, and partners that have helped me do it at a young age. So um, to have, you know, prior experience before I even stepped in that building and then, you know, touching on for people that haven't really ever been to the building. Um, you know, for me, it, it wasn't such as like a starstruck feeling when I walked into that building, to see all the cars and to see how big the building is. And, you know, I've ran on that track in micros and whatnot. So it wasn't nothing new, just, um, you know, a lot more people in, in a different car for sure. Uh, so when you go there for the first time and you actually run the track, was it everything you kind of imagined or was it just like, yeah, you know, this is another track because I know a lot of people have different opinions on this. Actually, well, and also you ran you ran there on iRacing. Right, it's right. one of the tracks you know that you had ran some laps on there. We always see you running iRacing. So yeah, like he said, how was it? Um, it's just everything happens a lot quicker than you would imagine. Like we do run you know smaller tracks like Port City, Beauclair, and, and you know Macon in the midget side, but it's still very, very surprising. Um, a lot of people say that the lights kind of mess with you, but I didn't have an effect on the lights um, for me anyways. And um, everything just, like I said, happens way faster than you imagine. And if you get on the berm, that was another thing that I had to realize. And the berm really upsets the cars there. And, and that's something that, like in micros, you know, that I've ran their past, you can lean on the berm pretty hard. And then the midgets, it got you really upset and kind of shot you out to the slick where you couldn't really exit off the bottom like you wanted to so just you know little things like that um i felt like i could have done better in and, and maybe even better our results but um overall i'm you know happy with getting the rookie of the race absolutely so uh after chili bowl your guys' season kind of ramped up and i guess you know going into 2021 unlike 2020 it was um looking a little bit more normal uh you know a lot of races on the schedule for your guys' whole team started down in ocala and then you got going can you just touch on how your season's been i know you've picked up a couple victories one down at west memphis and then also one recently at grain valley so a good start to the year with already a couple wins you know this early in the season yeah and and that's another thing like this early in the season i think we've ran 15 races maybe even if that and and to have I think we have 60 to 70 on our schedule so it is still pretty early in the season and and to knock off two wins is is pretty cool and um there's been a lot of seconds to uh, you know you guys might know him buddy Kofoid um my teammate so it's not bad running second to him you know as long as it's it's our teammate and Keith Coons is still running but uh yeah we've we've knocked off a lot of podium finishes and and you know consistency is, is definitely key to to win in championships as, as a lot of people know. So um extremely thankful for that and, and that we're doing that. Um, you know, cars have gotten a lot better here soon. Like 
I feel like we've struggled at Ocala and, and Buddy ended up winning. And then I think me and him were in the top five both nights. So to have places that Keith Kings Motorsports has struggled and then, you know, kind of picked up the results here this year, especially so far, is, is pretty cool. And then I think another track we struggle at would be Port City. And, and we were able to, I think I had a one DNF and then finished 11th or so after hitting an infield tire after battling for the lead. So we had the speed, just couldn't put it all together for for 50 laps and, and 30 laps, which is, that's very unfortunate, but um, nothing to hang your head about with the USAC guys. So um, like you said, season has been really good two wins so far and um, still got to get that first USAC win. That's definitely something that I want to get. And um, I guess you could say I, I won at West Memphis, but it wasn't a national race. So I, I don't think I would count that, but it did still pay three grand. So that was pretty nice. So you mentioned their uh, finishing second to buddy who we both race with uh, at Red Bluff. Um, what's that like, uh, racing with your teammates? Cause you have a lot of Keith Coons motorsports. What's that like, um, in, in the pit side, uh, just interacting with them and stuff like that. Yeah, it's, it's cool. Um, just because, you know, they see different things than, than we see, you know, if they're running with us or, or running behind us and they can kind of see what we're doing wrong or see what we're doing right. And, um, to have that many cars is definitely, I feel like a benefit because, you know, say if they're in a B main or in an earlier heat race than you, you can always talk to them and see what the track's doing or see how their car handled because every time the cars go out, they're pretty much identical. It's usually up to the driver to, to drive them. So um, to kind of just that aspect is really cool. And then uh, me and Buddy have became really good friends. So for someone like him to have that much experience in a 410 sprint car and, and then be good in a midget, it's, it's really cool to lean on him. And then I leaned on Cannon a lot last year. Um, when he was a Keith Smith Motorsports member and just because he's from Oklahoma and I, and I knew of him. So that was kind of cool. And then, like like I said, this year, I've, I've leaned on Buddy a lot since I'm still younger. But um, a lot of people in Keith Kins Motorsports call me the veteran because I've been here the longest. So that's pretty weird to hear. But but I think I'm, you know, still a rookie in, in a lot of aspects. So um, just kind of, you know, keep on proving. And uh, Keith Kins Motorsports guys right now are doing a really good job. You know, we're all pretty young and. Um, but he's probably the oldest one. Yeah, he is the oldest one. So that's kind of cool to be running with him and whatnot, but, um, uh, it's cool to, to have that many crew guys and, you know, drivers and, and lean on each other to, you know, progress as a team. That's cool. That's neat. Yeah. And a- another thing to touch on, um, that you guys have really been doing this season, not only focusing on the midgets, but also KKM has put together a pretty solid micro program to help develop the drivers. And you've been one of the main people kind of leading that. So how has it been also to, you know, I, I know the midget and the micro are probably completely separate, but there's some sim- similarities, you know, but to still be able to go and, and win with that, um, you know, that's got to be a confidence booster just to be able to run any laps and anything, you know, on a night at the racetrack. Yeah, and it, and especially, you know, run any laps to anything is, is really good, just like you said. But to have somebody like Keith Coons kind of almost step down into micros and still getting knowledge from him is is really cool, um, you know, for, for younger kids, say if, you know, their parents wanted to, to get them in a good car, you know, a Keith Coons micro is going to be a really good car to, to get your kids started in. So um, in aspects like that, and um, I was very fortunate enough to run micros earlier in my career. Um, and then it's pretty cool to see him step down and, and go to places like Port City and, and around Oklahoma, exactly where I grew up to, to kind of give other kids chances, you know, to show their talent and everything, which which is really cool, um, I think, but um, sometimes it can honestly hurt you. I feel like too, if you get some kid that really you know doesn't know what he's doing or, or anything, and then you'll waste a couple of years. But that's just part of it, I guess. And um, 
you know, he's doing a really cool thing. I feel like with the micros to, to give those kids a chance where they're, you know, parents don't have enough money or whatnot and he'll pick them up and start them at a younger age and progress them into hopefully superstars one day. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's super interesting. And that's a, a good little segue into our, our next part of the episode talking about your story. Cause I know um, yours is maybe a little bit different. You didn't necessarily start um, at five years old or something in quarter midgets or outlaw carts and stuff like that, you know, so what was your first interaction with racing and, and how did you kind of, you know, start your journey? Yeah, so my dad ran modifieds and late models, um, you know, way back in the 80s and 90s and stuff. And he actually quit the year that I was born. So I never got to watch my dad race and I never got to go to the track. And then my uncle actually raced out um, micros and at Port City and everything. So I went to the races. And then when I was six or seven, I wanted to race. So we, my dad bought me a junior sprint and whatnot and then went to a couple practice days. And I ended up actually getting upside down on a practice day. So I told my parents then that I didn't want to race and, you know, went and played ball sports and whatnot. And then I, I got back into it. I believe it was, I think I was 10. And I told my dad at the shootout we were watching that year that I wanted to race. And he ended up buying a car that night and we took it home from the shootout and then raced, um, you know, when I was 10, 11, 12. 13 and then was you know fortunate enough to get in a midget at Keith Coons Motorsports at 14 and then here I am today so yeah a lot of people don't know that I didn't start when I was younger I actually only have six years of racing under my belt which is pretty cool that is cool did he ever try to prom or promote you to race uh something that wasn't open wheel because you got started in micro and you said he used to race mods I guess that's open wheel and uh late models yeah he never really did um he didn't really push me to race but the moment I wanted to race, he was all about it. So, um, so that was really cool, you know, how he didn't push me. But then again, when I told him I wanted to race, he was very excited, of course, just like any dad would be when their kid's racing. So um, that was cool. But I think I, when I was younger, I just grew up around the micro scene and everything. And then he kind of drifted to the open wheel side. So you could honestly get started at a younger age, I feel like, on the open wheel side with junior sprints and micros and whatnot. And then like with the late models and everything, I feel like you would run like crates or something when you're like 14. And then basically you're already behind if you want to go to, you know, Keith Coons Motorsports or NASCAR or anything. So uh, getting started in micros, you talked about, you know, kind of getting those first laps younger and then quitting and then getting back into it. You know, what was uh, the local scene like for you? What were some of the racetracks you were running in Oklahoma and the competition levels? Yeah, I, I personally feel like Port City um, is probably the hardest local track to win at. I feel like um, it could compare to what you guys would know would be like Red Bluff. Like it is, I feel like Port City is the Red Bluff of micros. Um, and Oklahoma just has so much talent. I feel like that a lot of people kind of overlook and everything. And, um, you know, it's it's cool sometimes, but then, then again, you can get stuck at Port City and then never really show your talent. Um, so me and my dad and, and everyone tried to travel a little bit more. So we were in this series called Now 600. It's uh, Terry Maddox promotes it. It's the guy who kind of promotes ASCS National Series, too. So he kind of started a little micro deal and, you know, honestly didn't get that many cars when he first started. And uh, we kind of stuck with him the first couple of years. And then now they just had a race last week that got 120 cars. So that was pretty cool at Port City to see how much he's grown. Um and, you know, for me being the first person to kind of stick with him, that was really cool. But traveled a little bit um, and then ran Port City as much as we could. They had like the Donnie Red Crawford, the Pete Fraser, 
um, and a couple other two to three day shows, you know, almost every month that a lot of people would come to and, and that were, you know, prestige to win. And then I think the latter years of my micro like sprint career, Fort City actually closed down. So everyone kind of drifted to a track that would three hours away, I-44 Speedway. And it's it's like Port City, just probably a little bit bigger, I would say, and, and just, you know, kind of teaches you to keep your momentum up, for instance, not be like a, you know, a boring racer. So um, that was cool, but um, it always sucks when, you know, a track closes down that was at prestige. So, um, but luckily, you know, Shane Stewart takes care of it now, which is really, really cool. And, and he can kind of, you know, guide people in the right direction um, if their parents, you know, kind of don't know what the racing scene is like and he can, can you know, have really good connections to get your kid to the next level. So I said it a little bit earlier in the episode. Um, one of the main reasons having you on is just like trying to find a micro driver to talk about the micro scene because we're cart kids. This was our pathway to, you know, trying to move up through the ranks and you were right in the center of it in Oklahoma. So is that what you would say, um, you know, about micros? You talked about just the competition levels and the different types of racetracks, then also the now 600 series, which seems to be very popular and has so many races on the schedule. Is that is what is producing these drivers to, you know, go on and race with cake race with KKM like you are, or, you know, even getting into wing sprint cars at a young age and then going on to, you know, kind of really making a career out of the sport of racing. Yeah, I, I really do. And like, as of right now, like last year, I think it was me, Cannon, Kaylee, uh, Brennan is a micro guy. Brian is a micro guy. And, and like right now, all of Keith's drivers all grew up running micros. And I feel like when, you know, Tanner Carrick, Ryan Robinson, Holly Sheldon, and all those people were running for Keith, it was mace or mainly outlaw car guys. So, um, I really think it just kind of drifts around almost to, cause I feel like California is really big on outlaw carts. Like their outlaw carts are bigger than their micros. And then you got like out here in Oklahoma and people don't even know what outlaw carts are. So it's, it's everything about micros. So I feel like it's just, you know, where you grew up and, and definitely kind of, you know, how hard you want to push yourself. And I feel like if you race anything and, and you're good enough or you get your name out there, um, it really doesn't matter where you grow up as long as you, you find the competition and the right tracks to go to, to, to push yourself to be better. Have you had the opportunity to turn a lap in an open 500 outlaw cart? I have not. I've actually talked to Carson Souza quite a bit um, about running one, but I've actually not. I've been to Millbridge and almost ran one of Bundy's uh, outlaw carts, but I actually didn't end up. But I think it would be really cool. I feel like, you know, any laps in anything does not hurt at all to just kind of progress and, and be open-minded and, and getting in and hopping in anything. Yeah, we got to get you out to Red Bluff definitely next season. That'd be cool to see you turn some laps there. Yeah, Red Bluff might not be the place to be for the first time, but I would definitely give it a shot. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that's great. Um, so moving on kind of from, you know, getting started with Now 600, you run that for years. And, and didn't you win a couple championships, right? Yeah, I think... I think I won two restrictor championships and then moved up to a class, which is like a stock class and then ended up picking up a championship in that. So that's great. So you, you ran the micro deal, you got into, um, with KKM at 14 years old, you know, what does that look like getting hooked up, you know, with a top tier midget team and then, you know, leading, um, in that direction of, you know, making a career out of racing. Yeah, I, I truly didn't know, um, that I was going to be racing for KKM when I was, was 14. Like, it's just something that, you know, you dream of, of course, is, is running for KKM. And um, I was very fortunate enough to to be one of the younger kids that he's ever took in and, and kind of took a chance on. So um, that was pretty cool. But um, again, you know, you're in the best stuff. So it's usually not the car's fault. It's the driver's fault. So um, that's something that you have to kind of take up upon yourself is when you get out of the car and kind of talk to the crew guys like, 
eh, it's, it's usually your fault and, and you just need to learn from it, which is, there's nothing wrong for that. That's, you know, part of Keith Coons Motorsports is to develop people. And, and, um, I feel like that's kind of what we're on the road to now is we're competing. I feel like for a win almost every time we hit the track. And, and that's something cool to look back is, you know, three years ago, I barely made the power eye shows. So, um, I feel like I've progressed very well. And that's just part of how good Keith Coons Motorsports is. Where, where he can push kids at a younger age to be really, really good and can compete with people like Justin Grant, KTJ, you know, Timez at a really young age. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned there most of the time it's not the car's fault. Does that actually give you a boost going into the race knowing that you've got a great setup actually most of the time? So does that like clear your mind thinking all I got to do is drive it now? Yes, it is. It's very easy, you know, when you don't have to realize like, you know, the car's going to be this or the car's going to be loose or tight or, or whatnot. Usually it's 95% of the time it is going to be wicked fast every time you hit the track and you can usually maneuver, you know, wherever you need to. So that's really mind clearing, I guess, like you said. So um, to have that, it's in your, in your back corner and to drive one of those cars is extremely, I want to say it's easy because you have to get up on the wheel, but it just, it brings your confidence down where you don't have to be on the wheel every single lap. You can almost take a little bit of breathers. Yeah, I know going, um, it kind of relates kind of not going out in an outlaw car red bluff for qualifying. And I set it up. I'm thinking, <laughs> is this setup even going to work before I even think about turning the wheel? So, uh, that's pretty cool. And I think you might be the same way with Jimmy setting up your stuff too. So yeah, you, you know, um, in my outlaw card, it's similar. And then also we have a crew chief on the sprint car. So it is nice, you know, having that feeling going out, like, you know, we're at least going to be close. And then, you know, I have to do my part, you know, to, uh, to make it go fast. So in your early days with KKM, you know, kind of, I guess you could say showing up to the shop for the first time or those first couple interactions with the team were you working directly with Keith or was that like you know maybe they assigned you you said they have a lot of crew members you know one specific crew chief and this is like your crew chief and driver coach or you know because they have obviously a lot of resources uh there so who are the people that you were kind of working with when you first uh got started with them yeah so three years ago when I first got into it Keith and Big Al were the two crew chiefs of the two trailers so there's like a black trailer and then there's a blue trailer that they call them. So, um, usually Keith at first, you know, takes you for, you know, probably he took me for a full year and, uh, he's the one that kind of gets you used to everything and, and is sort of a driver coach. And then, uh, Jay Drake is a, is a really good driver coach, as you can tell, you know, all the history that he's had in midget racing. So, um, yeah, the, all the newer guys, you know, usually get, get to go to Keith and then, to be honest, now, like last year, Keith kind of stepped away from it about right in the middle of the season, and uh, he was just kind of watching over everything. He didn't even turn a wrench on a car. I mean, of course, the crew chiefs could go there and ask him, you know, whatever questions he needed to or, or whatnot, and he would lead him in the right direction. But he honestly didn't make a call on the car about halfway through the season last year, and, and this year he hasn't made a call yet on the cars. Um, and especially with the micro stuff, he's usually with them now, so... Um, it's, it's a lot different, but I feel like, you know, the younger kids are, are still good and the crew chiefs that he has with them are top notch. They're, they're really good at what they do. And, um, that's another thing to talk about is like the crew guys are really young too. I think the oldest one is probably 25 or, or something. So, um, to so have that kind of learning with you. Oh yeah. They're, they're learning with us a lot. Like Jarrett Martin, it was his first time ever wrenching on a car with, was last year and he picked up a USAC win. Uh, I think like 12 power eye wins with Buddy is his first time. So, um, you know, they're learning just as much as we are. And 
uh, it's it's kind of cool to be able to build that relationship with with somebody almost as young as you or the same age as you, and to be that successful is is really cool. Is really cool. That is that is crazy. Uh, another thing to kind of talk uh, talk about with midget racing, you know, the competition level is just on another level right now. You know, you're driving for a top tier team, but there's also now other top tier teams kind of, I guess, trying to replicate the, the KKM format of having multiple cars and multiple drivers and crew guys. Uh, so, you know, what's that like, you know, every single night, whether it's USAC or Power Eye, you know, there's other teams that, you know, you guys all have very similar equipment. And then at some point, you know, it just comes down to who has the best night and runs the best race. Yeah. Midget racing. I feel like I've actually talked to Keith and Pete about this is, is right now they think it's the tough it is it has ever been. Um, just because like you said, everyone has the same stuff. Everyone, everyone has Toyotas, you know, spikes, bullets. It, it really doesn't matter. And everyone's on the, everyone has the same motors and, and everything. So it's hard to really, you know, find the edge like that. So it's just, you know, comes down to if your driver can really talk to your crew chief and get your car, you know, pretty much perfect. So, um, sometimes you hit it and then sometimes you don't, but that's another thing that, that I feel like we have really good confidence in is how good our cars are. You know, we don't have to worry about that. We can just, you know, tell the crew chief what we think. And, um, he's really, really good usually about getting the car where you need it. And, and you never, he never second guesses and, and we never second guess what he's doing. And I feel like that's where it comes to be really successful. And, and that's why they're a top tier team. So one of the main things you uh, kind of touched on earlier, you don't have your first USAC win yet. You've had a couple seconds. You've been super close. But one of those wins you did pick up was actually last year at uh, I-44. You picked up your first Power I National win. Can you kind of talk about that night and, you know, getting the monkey off your back with your first big midget win? Yeah, so that was actually a, a three-day weekend. I think we went to Port on Friday, maybe, or Thursday, and we ran I-44 Friday. So the first night I-44, I think I led 28 laps and then Cannon got by me on a restart and actually took like pretty much stole my first win away. So I was very upset about that. Um, and then, of course, the next night, I think me and Buddy might have started 8th or 10th and there was no yellows. And I think I took the lead around lap 15 away from another Keith Coons Motorsports teammate. I feel like we're always racing each other, but um, I took the lead away from him and then like I said, no yellow. So we got the lap traffic and that's always, you know, extremely nerve wracking. And sometimes it bites you when you're the leader because you don't know where to go. So, um, I feel like I made pretty good moves through lap traffic. And of course, buddy, like, I think he slid a lap car going into turn one on the white flag lap. And I thought he was sliding me. So I was like, oh crap, I got to get going here. Um, and he actually was like right on my bumper. I feel like the last five or so laps. So, to finally get my monkey off, you know, the monkey off my back there, especially in my hometown, was ex really, really cool. And, um, you know, for, for being there and then seeing all the people cheer for me was, was pretty cool. And, um, you know, just got to get that first USAC win now. That'll be cool, especially when it comes. I'll be watching for sure. Yeah. So through all this uh, this midget success and even your journey just starting uh, in micros, you said your dad raced. You know, how has your family been following along uh, or following along with you through this? Uh, we do some of our research for these podcasts, and that was one of the things I heard you talk about in another interview is your family, you know, goes to 95% of your races and is always there, and that's a similar situation for me. So how is it, you know, every single time you're at the dirt track to have your parents there supporting you? Yeah, it's extremely, I feel like it's almost easier on you because you don't have to, you know, worry about getting to a hotel or whatnot by yourself. And, and you have your mom there and I feel like I'm, you know, fairly young. So it's nice to have her there and everything. And, 
Um, this year has honestly been probably the first couple of times that I haven't had them there with my mom having to stay home um, because my sister's getting married. And, and that's another thing that's really tough about racing is like, I'm going to end up missing her wedding. So that that's really, that's really weird almost to kind of miss your sibling's wedding. But um, thankfully, you know, she understands and, and my parents aren't, you know, mad or anything and, and they can kind of talk her through it that uh, he wants to, you know, have a career in racing and that's just what you have to sacrifice sometimes. So, um, yeah, this year I feel like they, they didn't, haven't came a lot so far, but I feel like, you know, after that wedding passes, they'll be right back, um, where they can and, you know, we'll, we'll be clicking off races. That's super neat. Yeah. Racing's definitely a family sport. And, you know, I know, you know, as you get to d different levels, you know, a lot of drivers you see, they're just kind of by themselves, but it's always fun to have them there supporting you. Um, the next and kind of our, one of our final segments here, you know, what's next for Dason Persley? What's the rest of the year look like for you guys and, um, your run with Keith Coons Motorsports? Yeah, so definitely, you know, the end of the year, we'll we'll get through USAC and Power Eye, and unfortunately, um, the USAC and Power Eye, some of the races like are on top of each other. So I think KKM will end up, you know, splitting up like they have years in the past, where three drivers will go to Power Eye, and then the other three will go to USAC. So, um, you know, that sucks to look at like championship aspects, you know, to try to win both or try to get top five in Power Eye and USAC, since you'll be able, you know, or you're going to miss three or five of those races no matter which way you go. But, um, you know, finish off those and, and try to finish in the USAC points, you know, top five or even, you know, five for a championship, I feel like is definitely not out of the picture with how consistent we've been. Um, but I feel like you can really see if you're going to be in the championship points after Indian and Midget Week because you have so many races in a row. You can either gain a lot of points or definitely lose a lot of points if you have a bad week. So um, that'll be tough to look at that. And then hopefully I feel like we have a a decent time off, I feel like, at the end of Illinois Midget Week. So I don't know if we'll, uh, Keith will get the sprint car out and I'll be able to go make my first couple laps in the sprint car again, which we did last year. And that was another really cool experience to do is, you know, hop in a sprint car and it happens to be a 410. So for my first time doing that, I was pretty wild. Yeah, that was one thing I actually had on my notes to ask you about. So I know you made, was that with uh, Moa you made that 410 debut? I made the 14 debut at Attica in Fremont um, was my first time. And then my third and final time last year was with Noah. Okay. So um, what is it about, you know, midget racers being so encouraged to go run wing stuff? I know that was one thing I've heard with Buddy and um, my friend Logan CV. Like every time, you know, they've kind of been in this, uh, the midget program, they're really heavily encouraged to go run wing cars because it helps you so much with the midgets. What is it about that, that those kind of correlate together? I feel like wing cars are, you know, they're, of course, they're bigger and, and they have a big motor and everything. So I feel like carrying wing speed, you know, like corner speed and whatnot helps you in, an, in a non-wing car. Um, and then, of course, when you get into a 410 sprint car at Attica or Fremont or, you know, Eldora, wherever you go race, it slows the midget stuff down. Um, so your reflexes don't have to be as fast. So if you get used to running a 410 sprint car like Buddy has, you're almost dropping down a level when you get back into midgets. Um, so that's something I feel like I don't have enough connections as of right now, say for like, for instance, as Buddy does, um, where he can, you know, call somebody and, and he can go run their sprint car when we get rained out or, or even have an off weekend. So, um, you know, maybe one day I'll find those connections and be able to do that. But right now, our, of course, our main focus is on the midget side. 
That's cool. some that's some great insight. Uh, one of our final questions, you know, you're in with Keith Coons Motorsports right now. You're doing the midgets. We talked about wing sprint cars, but what is uh, what's the next step for you? You know, I know you're uh, probably dirt racing, making a career out of it is one of those. But where do you see yourself trying to go after you run midgets or maybe the midgets are even more of a long term thing as well? Um, I really, you know, definitely NASCAR is, is everyone's dream, for instance, you know, when you're first starting when you're younger. But um, when I'm, you know, of course, I'm hooked up with Toyota now and, and you know, if you've watched Christopher and Kyle do it um, and go all the way to the top. So that's something I feel like is not out of reach um, for me. And it's just definitely something that I have to work hard for the next couple of years to try to put myself in that position to to be good on pavement and, and to get those opportunities on pavement. But um, yet again, you know, if, if I basically just suck on pavement and, and not good at it, then um, I'll be more than happy to go, you know, make a career out of non-wing sprint cars or um, I feel like everyone's dream is to run the world of outlaws too. So, um, that's something that I would love to do. And, uh, if I was able to do that one day, I'd be extremely thankful. Absolutely. That's great. Well, we're going to be following along with your season on flow racing. I know they cover a bunch of the races you guys are at, so we'll be watching. Um, last thing, uh, do you have a couple of your social medias? Maybe you want to shout out where can people kind of follow along with your racing? Yeah, cool. Just, you know, follow Jason personally on Twitter, on Instagram, and you can even follow along on Facebook. Uh, and that's you know all I got. Thank you, Will. Thank you for joining. Thank Have you. a great rest of your day and good luck uh, with the rest of your season. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, a phenomenal interview from Dason Persley. I think I said it kind of towards the beginning, but I've never actually met Dason, but we've kind of private messaged back and forth. When I was going to be at Creek County last year, he's close to Creek County in Oklahoma where he lives, and we just missed each other. But I've ran with him plenty of times on iRacing. It was so interesting to kind of hear about a little uh, background on Keith Coons Motorsports from, you know, what it's like to be a driver for them. So many resources they have from driver coaches to, you know, just working with yeah. Keith Coons and then all of their individual uh, crew Chiefs, I thought that was just awesome to hear about. Yeah, that was a great interview. And I know this is something kind of funny as me and you were a little bit nervous, I, I think you could uh, say before the interview because we hadn't done a face-to-face -face one. Yeah. But right after me and Tanner were like, that was awesome. And I personally think the face-to-face -face interviews are a lot better just because you get to see the person, you get to talk to them. And you really, I don't know, I just think you Absolutely. really understand what they're saying a lot more. But uh, it's super cool to hear his way of coming up through the ranks um he you know he mentioned he didn't start as early as a lot of kids are starting now uh like i did and you did so that's pretty cool to see that he's i guess you could say like he mentioned one of the veterans at keith coon and he's only 16 years old or yeah. somewhere in there yeah, so he's very young a yeah. lot of his teammates are you know much younger than him and that goes to show you know how kids are kind of getting into midget racing around the age of 13, 14 years old, and yeah. they're able to run with Power Eye, and then, you know, they hit the age limit to run with USAC, and also that just shows where midget racing's at as a whole. Yeah. You know, it's such a it's such a crazy form of dirt track racing. You know, I haven't been to a lot of midget races in person because they're just not super big on the West Coast. You know, we have the Focus Midgets, yeah. but those are much slower, but they do draw good car counts up here in the Northwest. But man, you know, I watched them a little bit down at Hanford when we were there um, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And I look forward, hopefully when we're in the Midwest, maybe a couple of our sprint car shows, you know, have the midgets as you could say a support class or, you know, the class yeah. with us. But it'd be awesome to see more of those races in person. Yeah, the USAC series seems really cool. If you could have the opportunity and you were going to start, would you rather start in USAC or Power Eye? I think you'd want to get some laps in Power Eye first because right. Power Eye has good competition, it seems like. Yeah. But, you know, USAC, you're just going to get more elite teams or all the yeah. big teams, I guess, with multiple cars. Mm -hmm. Where Power Eye seems like maybe it still has a couple of, like, single or two-car teams yeah. that are more just, you know, trying to get laps 
or just from a little bit of a different area of the country compared to some of the USAC shows, I guess yeah. you could say. But, you know, talking to Dason, that was so great to hear his story and, you know, even talked about, you know, flipping in a restricted uh, a restricted micro yeah. at a young age. I think it was a junior sprint. It was a junior sprint, yeah. And he said, I'm done with that. I'm going to go play baseball. And, and then, then how his paths kind of crossed to getting back yeah. into dirt racing. And now he's on his way to making a career out of it. So yeah. that was awesome to talk to Dason. Uh, I think into the next segment for the show, talk a little bit about our weekends. Carly ran the limited sprint at Coos Bay, and you said you had a couple purchases that you made, uh, you know, recently. Do you want to talk on uh, talk about that? Yeah. So everyone knows the red Mustang that I had that we got pulled over in. Uh, it goes in lint mode, and it was getting so bad, and I was over it. So I was like, "Okay, this thing isn't going to last much longer." So I told my parents we're going to get rid of it. So we took it to the dealership. And uh, my sponsor, actually, Crown Motors, had purchased it back, which was awesome. And then uh, there's a car I've been wanting for a long time. It's the 1987 Toyota MR2 Mark One, and that's what we got. And we also got an 86 with the car. So I got two Toyota MR2s. <laughs> you got to ride in it today, too. The Space Coupe is what we call it. Yeah. Uh, they're manual, so I had to learn a little bit with that. I, when I drove the late model, that's when I learned manual. So... I guess with the late model, you shift at a lot higher RPMs and stuff. And this thing is like, it's lurching because I'm not giving it enough juice. So uh, I picked that thing up and, you know, it's for the condition it is in for it's an in 87. It's condition. a phenomenal condition. So uh, I just dropped a video on it on today. So a lot of people have already seen it by then. But uh, I can't wait to upgrade that thing. And hopefully it turns into a pretty nice restored show vehicle. Yeah. And that'll be the main thing, you know, taking you back and forth as you come up, shoot the podcast, travel yeah. with us, you know, for the sprint car season. Carly, though, had a phenomenal weekend. She ran Cottage Grove on Friday night, ran Coos Bay on Saturday. This was like the Interstate Sprint Car Series season opener. And those vlogs just turned out great. It's kind of funny, you know, when I'm not there racing, I have so many emotions about like going to a racetrack and not yeah. racing just because I haven't done it much. But, you know, going there and not racing, I can make, I, I don't want to say much better content, but yeah. you just have so much time on your hands. Right. I mean, I don't have to go to a driver's meeting. I don't have to, you know, there's just little things I don't have to do. I don't have to watch the racetrack as much. Yeah. You know, I'm not going up to watch every sprint car heat race because, you know, I want to see how every everyone else runs. You know, I yeah. try to watch a little bit for Carly, obviously, but, you know, if Carly's in heat race one and we watch that, you know, I'm headed back to the trailer. I'm not yeah. there to watch everything else. And um, so anyway, it's just a, a different perspective being at the racetrack. Another thing, I hate to admit it, but I eat a lot more. It's yeah. crazy. <laughs> like I, I, on race day when I'm driving, I don't eat much because if I'm nervous or yeah. whatever, but you know, when we're, um, you know, race day comes around and you know, don't have much to do, you find yourself being a little bored and you eat more. So that's a, a fun fact. Other than that though, well, I was going to say, do you think you get more nervous or less nervous or as nervous as, you know, when you're there with Carly or when you're actually racing yourself? You know, this weekend I found myself super relaxed. I don't know what yeah. it was. You know, I think part of it was because I was able to do things that I do really enjoy, which was like trying to create as much content out of the weekend, not yeah. only in the video, but like, you know, just trying new things. And I actually have this on my notes, but for example, one of those trying to take some pictures, you know, yeah. uh, when you're there with us, you know, you take some really great action shots and I'm like, you know what, why not give that a try? Yeah. And props to every photographer <laughs> ever because it's way harder than it looks. Yeah. I tried to take some photos and a bunch of them turned out blurry or not in the right focus or I probably didn't even have the right settings on. Yeah. But you know, that was one of the things. And then also just trying different things that I can't do because I, I have less time on my hands when I'm behind the wheel. Like I didn't execute it, but I know what I have to do next time I'm at Coos Bay. I'm going to do a backstretch cam. So I already yeah. have it where I can set it up. 
I tried to do it for Carly, but my mount just didn't work. I didn't have the proper equipment. Yeah. But I just think, you know, different things like that, that, you know, I have all the time in the world, right? When Carly, you know, goes out, I can run over to the backstretch, turn on the camera and, you know, video and get all the footage yeah. I, I still get. So that's one of the main things. But watching Carly, I really haven't been getting as nervous. The biggest thing is you probably hear me yell a little bit over the video because I'm so emotional and in it for her. Yeah. I feel like I'm watching a younger version of myself, I guess, you know, learn the sprint car. Well, it's like, I think a good thing about it is, is like you you start to watch her develop and you go to the races with her and you start to have, not that you didn't have confidence in her at first, but you start to have confidence in the fact that yes. she knows what she's doing when she shows up and she's going to do her job. Whereas I know like when I ran up in Hayfork, my dad, I could tell was like, you know, you might know what you're doing, but you yeah. don't. But like, um, I always know, like when we went to, uh, Arizona, the race to 410, I had no, I didn't doubt that you can drive the car, but I was like, we're racing with the yes. biggest okay. guys now. I agree. So I, I was like, you know, it's just like, and then when we start to go run, you know, more often, it's like, it's just another day at the track for me now. But, uh, when we went and did that, I was like a little nervous, but yeah, actually that's a great point. And it, it's, it's a totally different perspective. You know, it goes down to the little things that I'm just not as used to doing, because like I said, I'm usually the one in the car, like yeah. even, you know, where Coos Bay was at, where we parked, you know, we have to push Carly back, you know, every single time she goes out, you know, just getting used to like pushing the car back. Yeah. I know that seems, that seems so petty, but that that's serious, like something little, but, um, you know, what you said, the perspective of, you know, watching the races and, and me having absolutely zero control of what happens. Yeah. And I think I have more fun, even in these first couple of races, watching Carly's progress, because the progress is so clear. Sometimes yeah. when you're behind the wheel, you know, you, you, you don't see your progress because you're so looking at the little things. Like I find myself pretty hard on myself, you yeah. know, like, oh my gosh, I made that mistake on lap seven, but what about laps eight through 30 that were perfect? Or I yeah. guess, you, you know, that's an example but, you know, I can see Carly's progress so clearly in these first couple of races and things to work on as well. And the biggest thing is just trying to be that that driver coach for her, because yeah. I, I told her I was like, you know, when I was running the sprint car, I didn't have, uh, you know, really a person that close to me, yeah. you know, that had driven before to ask a lot of questions. So, you know, at least she can, you know, I, I'm not going to say I know everything, but, you know, I've been in the same spot as her, you know, driving a limited at Cottage yeah. Grove in Coos Bay. So that's a, that's an interesting perspective. And then also what you said you know, just uh, having the confidence in the driver, you know, yeah. it kind of gave me um, more of an appreciation for like you, my sister, Carly, yeah. my parents, my crew chief, Roger, because, you know, like, for example, going and run that 410 race, you know, always being in the seat, you know, I can only imagine sometimes, especially if I didn't do something right or I was way off the pace. It's just like you're kind of just sitting there in the stands with that, it, that, well, that look. It, it's it, not see, it's not really that for me. Like, oh, my God, you're so much slower. I don't yeah. really care. I mean, you could be the slowest car on track. I still have confidence in your driving. It's more of just a, like you're stepping up to the big dogs. And yeah. it's like I can imagine your shoes. Yeah. I, like I would be scared list to be honest <laughs> i would be nervous all right so um that's just kind of what it boils down to is like i even i get nervous i'm like well here we are and, and maybe that's not even the right um the right words i guess what i'm trying to say is like uh you know when you're in the stands and you're just you're watching the driver you know you it's yeah. easy to kind of pick apart the mistakes maybe or right. just little things are like oh my gosh why are they running that line or why are they doing this and that yeah. but then you i you know it's easy for me to remember back like okay i've been in her shoes before right. like I've, tr I, I've done all these things wrong. You know, I've flown off the track. I've yeah. been the slowest guy on the track. So it's just, um, it's cool to kind of have, you know, both different persp perspectives, different yeah. perspectives. And, um, it, it just, it, it gives me more of an appreciation on both sides of what it's like, you yeah. know? So I have a couple more notes on my phone that I'm going to pull up because I had a couple of things specifically from night number two, yeah. um, to touch on night number one, real quick, Carly, 
uh, was running third at one point. She, she pulled the three. She, yeah. she wasn't very good at the beginning of the night. And to touch on that, uh, the racetrack was insanely slick. It rained a bunch. And then actually they were able to pack it in. So we were able to race. And the moisture yeah. was maybe just an inch under the surface. Like it was soaking wet, but they were able to get it packed in enough to where, you know, maybe the moisture would just come back at the beginning or at the end of the night, I should say, because um, Brian Crockett, really good on track prep. We need to get Brian on the podcast. We do, soon. Yeah. That's our I goal. think we're kicking that around with yeah, him. Yeah. So, uh, but he's really good at track prep up at Cottage Grove and has done so much in dirt track racing. But he knew that if he got too much water on top of the track after that rain, it was going to be wide open, yeah. you know, um, you know, 0% all night, you could say. Just absolute yeah. playing in the mud. So he did his job on track prep. It was super slick at the beginning of the night. And Carly just kind of didn't run the proper line. And I tried, tried to explain that to her in video, um, her in qualifying. So we studied that. She got better in the heat race, ran second in the heat, mm -hmm. pulled the three pill, um, fell back to fifth early in the A, but actually put on a charge back to third. And then, uh, you know, fell back to fourth towards the end and then started trying stuff. Yeah. You know, I think, I don't think she panicked is the word, but she just, you know, wanted to get away from the line that she was running and she ended up just getting caught in the slick and spinning out. So yeah. we talked about that. That's just, that's just part that's of learning. development, just feeling out the track. And I think as a driver, you could look back and think like, oh, that was so stupid. But at the same time, you got to think, well, at least I know now. Um, oh yeah. I think you I gotta think move around. Learning comes what I like to say in sprint cars, you know, learning comes, um, in some of your, I guess you could say lowest moments, right. you know, yeah, you made this big mistake. Like I've made mistakes on the track where maybe I missed a final transfer spot or, you know, I made a mistake in qualifying and yeah. I was eighth quick instead of top of the charts. Yeah. But those mistakes are where you really learn what to do and what not to do. A prime example, um, I was trying to go for my first limited win and it took me, you know, a season and a half or two seasons almost. And I remember there's this one night at Metford, our local track, just about 10 minutes away. Yeah. Um, I knew I'm like, I'm going to win tonight. I am the fastest car on the track. I had a good draw. I won my heat race. I think I pulled the one or two in the dash. I won the dash. I'm like, no one's beating us. And it was their biggest race of the year, 2000 bucks to win. Yeah. And I'm rolling the bottom. I'm just cruising on the bottom. Like I got these guys covered all of a sudden I get my doors blown off on a line. We've never seen at the racetrack before, which was yeah. the top at Southern Oregon. Usually it's not there. And from there on, I learned that the top side, you know, I, I just learned about searching. And that's like that race specifically, I remember all the lessons I learned. I ended up running second, which was so disappointing. Yeah. But like I said, all the stuff I learned. So that's kind of what I felt for Carly, you know, in that moment of spinning out, it sucked. But you just regroup and you move on to the next night. So Carly ran the Coos Bay Speedway then the second night. I think she was scored 10th after Cottage Grove. But on my phone, I had a couple of notes just for Coos Bay because it's such an interesting racetrack. You've I think been it's, there. I think it's honestly one of my favorite facilities Absolutely. because it's a drag strip in front of it. And I think the cool part is it's coastal. It's on the coast. Yes. So they're like... It's, it's in a valley, but with like, in a, like a clearing. It's, it's so cool. Yeah, yeah I think uh, that's kind of what I had in my notes. I wanted to talk about the facility because, you know, we haven't talked about it yet here on the podcast, but the Coos Bay Speedway, it totally screams the Pacific Northwest. Like that's yeah. where I'm from, Oregon, Washington. You know, that's the, the area of the Pacific Northwest. And, you know, just kind of what we have here, you mentioned coastal. Coos Bay is like just a couple miles from the ocean. You can like smell it, yeah. you know, when you're there at the Speedway. So it's cool. You're in a little clearing. You have the drag strip. You have the dirt track. And the stands are like right in the side of a hill. Yeah. And you can actually pack a good amount of people there. And it's easy to go up to those grandstands to watch the races. Or they have the pit stands in a lot of area. Um, in the pit area and also at the end of the drag strip is where a lot of the sprint cars can park mm -hmm. right excuse me on a um you know a paved 
uh, runway. So that's one of the things about the Coos Bay Speedway that I had uh, down. Another thing about the Coos Bay Speedway that I thought was so interesting, and this kind of goes back to Brian Crockett. So, um, you know, that that racetrack, it's not the best. The facility's really nice, but yeah. it's just kind of flat and it banks off. So throughout the night, I was putting down notes on certain things to mention in the podcast so I don't forget. Yeah. And I was just thinking, man, this place could be so cool because on Saturday, it kind of got one lane. It wasn't the raciest. We've seen it like that before. We've seen nights randomly out of nowhere where it'll be super cool. Yeah. Why are two, two lanes wide racetrack slick you can run as far up on the banking as possible and then you know you can put around the very bottom uh but it all just depends it has to be perfect and it has to be sandy in certain spots to yeah. take away grip and add grip but uh i asked brian crockett you know who runs the interstate sprint car series for the limited class i said hey man why do you think why do you think they have this place flatten off why why don't racetracks you know always have the banking at least consistently far up the racetrack yeah because the racetrack <laughs> is this wide and you can only use this much of it yeah and it's funny he goes you know i was I was thinking the same thing and I asked the promoter I said hey why don't you you know add a little bit of banking in this thing you know mm -hmm. so we can really get the racing better he said we have to have a place to run our water truck and so <laughs> I thought that was that was interesting because yeah. they always are watering Coos Bay every single time you know five or six times before the races and a lot of times that's why it's hooked up but yeah. I thought that was something to definitely note down we got to have a place to run our water truck um, so that was interesting and then the last thing from Coos Bay that was actually pretty funny because I mentioned, you know, not being behind the wheel of a race car. I have a lot more time on my hands. And I was joking there, right where we're pitted, you can walk up to the grandstands and they had this huge hill, this huge mm -hmm. hill. And all the kids that were there because it was bike night. So they gave away like 60 bikes. That yeah. was, that was awesome. That drew in a, a huge crowd and all these kids all night long, I'll play a couple clips while I'm talking about it, but they were rolling down the hill. I'm talking like wrestling each other, like full on. And I was joking like, hey, I don't have anything else better to do. I should just go roll down the hill with, yeah. the, with those kids. But um, that was a couple interesting things about the Coos Bay Speedway. Carly ran fourth from ninth. Uh, she missed the redraw. Qualified really good though. I mean, yeah. uh, for going to a new track, I was worried. You know, you talked about um, having confidence in the driver, I had confidence in Carly that she was going to do good, but I wasn't sure how hard she was going to drive the race car. Yeah. But uh, I, I honestly shouldn't have doubted her for a second because Cottage Grove was a whole 180 from the week before. You know, she was flying, um, wasn't afraid to step on the gas, I should say. Yeah. But anyway, so that was Coos Bay, ninth to fourth, first sprint car, top five. That was pretty cool for Carly. So that was our weekend with Carly. Next up, we have the Peter Murphy Classic this Friday and Saturday. Friday's at Hanford uh, with the King of Thunder sprint cars with the 410. And then Saturday is an actual King of the West race, which pays $11,000. I think that's the highest paying 410 race. And actually, I take that back. There's one more that's higher paying. But $11,000, that's a, a lot. lot. That's a lot of money on the line at Tulare. And my first time running Tulare in a 410, so that should be interesting. The next time Carly will be behind the wheel might be the following weekend. I think that's the 22nd. It would be up in Washington or the weekend after that, for sure, she'll be in the car at Cottage Grove for a doubleheader. So mm -hmm. to wrap up this episode, though, Bennett, do you want to hit us with the fan question? <laughs> yeah, so, so I was thinking this week, uh, I'm going to take over the fan question, and I think this is a great topic that me and Tanner can both touch on. Um, I'm one to go on social media and look at all the NASCAR updates throughout the day because I love watching NASCAR. I love all the top tiers of NASCAR. Um, and I see people that comment this, and I get so fired up over it. And I don't even <laughs> attempt to comment back because I know half the people that comment about this are idiots anyways. And I'm going to say that because I think they are because <laughs> whatever they say is how NAS NASCAR sucks. NASCAR is this. NASCAR needs to do this. Like just in 
enjoy the series for one moment. But anyways, what I'm getting at is Kyle Busch, our favorite driver, yes. dropping ranks to run the truck series. And not just Kyle Busch. I'm talking any cup driver. And I think we both agree that cup drivers can drop ranks, and it's great for the sport. And I'll give my first reasons why, and then you can go yes. ahead and add yours. But it. I personally think Kyle Busch is a team owner, a driver, and a developer of the sport at this point. So yeah. if, if he's going to go and if his team is not producing the numbers or the wins like he wants, as we've seen on his social media and his interviews, if he's not happy about it, he's going to voice his opinion well, what do you have to do? Well, you got to fix your team and your series. So Kyle needs to drop down and run his equipment that he owns. And maybe he can give pointers to some of the kids and tell them how to drive that package of truck or whatnot. You know what I mean? But the people that comment and say, oh, he's just cherry picking when he's just, well, look at what Kyle's doing. Kyle is running because one, he loves racing at his heart. And two, he's helping these drivers, kids. He talked about talking with John Hunter and going back and forth with wins and joking with him and whatnot. But not only that is all these other drivers like Sheldon Creed, the past champion, and uh, John Hunter Niemicek, all these kids and guys, Matt Crafton that are in the truck series, uh, they have just as good as equipment as Kyle. And I think you, you can't always say someone's cherry picking because when they step down and run the same equipment, maybe these other drivers need to step up to the plate because he's not just getting everything handed to him. If you watch the race, it's not like he's out there just walking the dogs, you know, eating McDonald's while he's driving. <laughs> he's racing. He's racing hard. And it makes me so mad when people are like, oh, he's just cherry picking to win because he's got a big ego. And I'm like, you know nothing about the sport if that's what you think he's doing. And I think you could probably agree. Yeah, and I, I'm not going to lie. I don't get as fired up in the sense just because, I, I don't know, I haven't watched a lot of NASCAR lately, but this is one topic I, I, I can, just I, can I speak get on. fired up because so many people <laughs> rip on NASCAR nowadays. Yeah. Like, it sucks. And I do. I'm like, people need to just, like you said, enjoy the sport. Right. And, and, you know, so many people, even in dirt track racing. What did Peter it, Murphy say? He's it, developing the dirt racing on the West Coast. Yes. NASCAR is trying to develop. Now, that's trial and error. The one lug nut thing is horrible. I think it's the dumbest idea. Their next gen cars, though, are more stock, and I think it's an awesome idea. But on the topic you brought up of, you know, drivers dropping down to lower series, yeah. I'm all for it. Obviously, I'm a big Kyle Busch fan, so I'm kind of biased. But, I mean, I think you touched on, you know, everything. You know, one, it helps his drivers. It shows where his race team is at. Yeah. And I can only imagine what it's like to drive for Kyle Busch because he will literally call out his drivers on Twitter, yeah. you know, um, if they don't have the performance or if they make the mistakes. But that goes to show where his equipment is at and where his teams are. They expect yeah. perfection. And not only that, too, I think it was Martinsville and I believe it was Harrison Burton. Not to bring up anything bad, but it, the emotions are so raw in NASCAR is when he won. He's, you know, what he said, F Kyle Busch, because Kyle called him out and said, I prefer. I expect you to win in my equipment. And so he did. And, you know, obviously shouldn't have said that or whatnot. But uh, it's just I, I don't like that people always get mad at someone helping to try to develop the sport. And you know what? Also, if Kyle Busch is going to set the record wins in the truck series, where do you think he started? He started in the truck series, right? Yeah. He worked his way up. So why not come down and break a damn record? Why it, why are you going to limit someone? And you know I think I mean? also some people make it seem like it's so easy. You know, it yeah. goes to show really how talented Kyle is and all these other drivers that, oh, yeah. you know, drop down and, and run Xfinity races. And also if they have that opportunity, they should be taking it because it's more track time yep. for them to, you know, learn things that will help them in the cup race, you know, later yep. in the weekend. But, you know, like you said, just that get that chance to run more races, 
develop equipment for yeah. other teams and add to the excitement of the truck series because you know you're not just watching it for the regulars you're watching it to see how the nascar guys go up and, and it's cool when we see yeah. an upset victory of you know a truck kid beating a nascar veteran absolutely like matt crafton like all these guys that kyle bush drops down to race like sheldon creed matt crafton all these guys ben rhodes i believe still is in the truck series they're so fast they're good it's not like he's just handed handed the win. So yeah. all these people I'm convinced don't even watch half the race. <laughs> they just watch the Instagram updates. So my advice to you, if you're that person, go watch the dang race. But uh, other than that, that's, that's, our, just, that's our NASCAR rant. That's just day. my one rant. And I'm sure we'll have more. And I could go on and don for days about people that are just dumb on social media that don't <laughs> know what they're talking about. But uh, yeah, I love NASCAR and I'm a big fan of it. And I'm a big fan of the top tier of motorsports and when a top tier sport tries to evolve because the people ask for it and then what they do is wrong again it just gets me fired up but. it just it happens there's so many keyboard yeah. warriors but that is our uh, nascar rant for the day and that's yeah. how we're going to wrap up today's episode so much fun stuff that we talked about including our interview with dason persley you know how he's been doing with kkm lately and what his 2021 season looks like and beyond we talked about bennett's new car yeah. talked about uh carly's weekend between cottage grove and coos bay and uh what our future looks like and our next month of racing so we will see you guys all in episode number 18 of off the track next Wednesday at 3.30 p.m. We're signing off. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are watching Off the Track, and it is time to drop the hammer.